So it is a sunny Thursday afternoon in lockdown. If you're listening to this episode, because I know podcast episodes are evergreen, if you're listening to this in a couple of years' time, we are currently in lockdown in the UK. Well, in fact, most of the world is on lockdown. Um, And it seemed like a really good opportunity to interview some more people. So a lot of you loved the interview with Joe Beale. So I'm interviewing some more people. And today I'm interviewing Robin Windsor of Strictly Come Dancing fame. A wonderful, wonderful human being. And I think you're going to really like this one. Um, and I've lined up a few more people to interview. So yeah, let's send In Bed with Bridget in this direction for a little bit. I had a wonderful time chatting to him. I could have chatted to him for hours, but we kept it to about an hour and a half. I'd really invite you to listen to this on a long walk with or without a dog. Uh, put your headphones in and and listen away. It's 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 a really nice interview. Or perhaps you're back to work um, on Friday or Monday and you're having to commute and it's a stressful time. Maybe plug your headphones in and zone out and just listen to someone else sharing their stuff. Um, I know many people find that a great antidote to a commute. So yeah, let me know what you think. Contact me, um, Instagram, Facebook. Most of you have got my details already. Uh, And check out the show notes because I'll be posting all of Robin's uh, links in the show notes. So without further ado, I'm going to stop waffling and here's the interview with Robin. Robin's in the house. Hi. (laughs) Lockdown Robin. You haven't got your shirt off though, Robin. I'm disappointed. Well, the weather's changed. We've even got the heating on today. It's a little bit chilly. Uh, so maybe if you catch me again in a couple of weeks when the sun's out. Maybe we can do a live Instagram one at some point. Ooh. <laughs> Shirtless Robin. Oh, absolutely. It could become a thing. <laughs> How are you doing, Robin? I'm doing really well. Um, I mean, obviously, we're in a, a very difficult time at the moment. Um, And isolation is very difficult for so many people and everybody's on a different level of how they're dealing with all of this. Um, I found it really hard the first couple of weeks because um, if you told, if I was just to say, oh, I'm going to have a week off at home, no problem. But I'm told to stay at home. I started to go a bit crazy. Um, Plus with everything that was going on outside. But over the last four weeks, um, I started to get into the flow of things. It started to become a bit more normal. Um, at least we have a little bit more freedom to go out again, but I'm still quite hesitant and um, I've got my bike, so I cycle everywhere. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just becoming the norm and I'm doing a lot of bits and pieces online and just uh, taking, taking each day as it comes, really. So for those of you who don't know you, obviously I know you and some of my fans know you because a lot of my, well, not my fans, my friends, that's some of them might be fans, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> A lot of people follow me because I used to dance and stuff. And so they will know you because they'll be into Strictly and that sort of stuff. But for those that don't know you, who's Robin? Robin, well, I'm a ballroom dancer. Uh, and I've been a ballroom dancer my entire life. I started dancing when I was the age of three. Um, most people will know me for my, uh, I did four series on Strictly Come Dancing, dancing with um, Patsy Kenza, Anita Dobson, Lisa Riley and Deborah Meadon from Dragon's Den. Uh, but before that, uh, I was an international uh, competitive dancer. Um, uh, I grew up uh, from in Ipswich, which despite this Australian twang that I've got to my accents, uh, I am a Suffolk boy. Um, and I competed at sort of like local level 
when I was younger. And then as I got older, it increased to sort of like national and then international. And I was England's number one for a while. And um, while I was at school, a bit of a Billy Elliot, really. All the other boys would go out playing football after school while I was down at the dance school practicing my rumble walks. And uh, it was a fantastic time. And I was very, very lucky. I was doing something that I loved. Um, I didn't get bullied at school which, I mean, I thank everybody at Coppleton High School where I went to in Ipswich for that. Um, everyone was very supportive of what I did and boys have such a tough time being a dancer when they're young. Um, so I feel really blessed to have been at a school where they were so supportive of me and they, they were what kept me going. Um, and um, when I was 15, um, I'd split up with my dance partner and I'd got a new one. Her name was Coralie. She lived in Southampton. Um, so it's quite a distance. So for us to rehearse and practice, uh, I used to have to travel on my own at 15 years old on a Friday afternoon on the train to London, then to, down to Southampton to spend the weekend with her and her family and then come back Monday morning. Um, back then, the school would allow that as long as I did my work. Um, but it was tough as a 15 year old boy just to travel, doing all that traveling on his own. Um, but it was what I wanted to do. And Coralie, for me, was one of the best dancers in the world. And we went straight to become England's number one the, the moment that we started to dance together. Um, and um, I stand there for a while and uh, things started to change. For me, I realised sort of, OK, um, I mean, being in a ballroom dancing world, it's not the most macho place in the world. Um, but still coming to terms with my sexu sexuality, uh, realising that I was gay, was still really, really tough. And it doesn't matter what environment you're in, especially 20 years ago, it was always gonna to be tough to come out. It's much different now, depending on your lifestyle and your family. But uh, back then it was, it was still almost a bit of a taboo sort of thing that nobody really spoke about. So I was very, very nervous. Um, and the, it was actually the top six British dancers that got me to come out by a game of truth or dare. Um, and, uh, I answered their question, burst into tears and ran off. Uh, one of them came chasing after me. And, and from then on, it was actually perfect. Um, but uh, things started to change for me. I moved to London um, once I'd finished school. Um, and my mother, she'd done so much for me growing up. I did not want to accept any more money from her for dancing because she'd given up everything so that I could dance. So I found myself, um, got into a huge amount of debt. So I had to make a very, very difficult decision to stop dancing. And I didn't tell anybody. Um, it was there where I first got my first bout of depression. I'd taken away my lifeline, what made me happy, but I couldn't afford to do it. Um, which led to a quite uh, interesting couple of years. I hit the party scene in London. I was out every single night. Um, I lost a lot of weight. Um, I don't know how I was managing to do it, but I was out every single night. I was working at Russell and Bromley's shoe shop mm. in High Street, Kensington. Um, and that seemed to be what my life was going to be. Um, and in 2000, in 2000 um, I uh, was coming out of Topshop on Oxford Street and I literally bumped into Coralie. No. I mean, wow. at one in a... 50 odd million chance because she lived in Southampton was the chances that she was going to be there. And she said to me, are you okay? I said, oh, yeah. She said, because you're very thin and you look not well. I said, yeah, it's been really, really tough. I'm not having a great time at the moment and things like that. And 
she said, look, I'm, I want to dance, but I don't want to compete anymore. Um, and I said, you know what, I'd love to do the same. And she, and she said, look, how about you come to Southampton, we get some routines together and we go and work on the cruise ships, which for me was a perfect way out of where I was and um, getting back to dancing again. So, and, and hopefully earn some money from it. Um, so off I went to Southampton, her family were amazing. They took me in, we spent six months, six months down there, me trying to put weight on, her trying to lose weight. So finally we met in the middle and uh, we were ready to go. And the day that we sent off the VHS videos, cause it was that long ago, um, to the cruise liners, Coralie got a phone call from a dance show called Burn the Floor. Um, an Australian dance show that was first put together at Elton John's 50th birthday. Um, and it had been running for a little while, but they closed down and relaunched it as a theatre show. And they said to Coralie, um, we have someone for you to dance with. We'd love you to join us. And she said, look, I'm dancing with Robin again. Um, I really can only do it with him because that's just not fair otherwise. And they said, what, Robin Windsor? And she said, yeah, yeah, yeah. They went, oh, fantastic bring him with you. Wow. So no audition needed, just based on my reputation from a competitive dancer, uh, they took me on board and a couple of months later, <coughs> excuse me, me and Coralie were off to Biloxi, Mississippi to start 10 years worth of touring around the world with Burn the Floor. Wow. I mean, I've, I've seen Burn the Floor a few times. I first saw it in Southampton. I think it might have been the first round of shows that happened. And I think yeah. that must have been... It been at the Bournemouth International Centre, yes. I would have thought, yeah. Richard Marcel took me, because um, yeah. he was working on the show. So he said, come, come watch it. Um, and it was a fantastic show. And I think it, I, I, I think it was the reason Strictly happened. Um, you know, people realise how popular ballroom dancing could be and you know it didn't have to be naff and orange and twee and you know you could make it really sexy and the show was actually really quite sexy well the guy that put it together harley medcalf he saw a group of dancers dancing at elton john's 50th and went well ballroom dancers dancing at his 50th and went i think with rock and roll lighting rock and roll music put this on stage uh, take away, strip away all the fake tan and everything like that. He said, I think I've got a show. And yeah. everyone, you are mad. Um, but it's still running today, 20 odd years later. Yeah. Um, but it was ahead of its time. Um, they saw um, uh, something that was about to happen before the days of Strictly, So You Think You Can Dance, all of these sorts of things, where the floor was there. Yeah, <laughs> so, it was um, fabulous. It was hard work, as I'm yeah. sure you sort of see. <laughs> um, so for 10 years, I did various versions of that show because it, it progressed as the years went on um we toured all over australia asia uh canada america south africa europe um and with a lot of hard work and determination uh we were the first ever ballroom show to be on broadway um that was in 2009 and uh I couldn't believe it. We'd been through some horrible times as a company where we'd all taken pay cuts so that we could stay afloat and things like this, but we were a family. And I felt that I was traveling with a brand new family of mine who I loved to death and we all supported one another. Um, and to be on Broadway was like the icing on the cake. It was nothing that was ever on my agenda as a, a young child. I wanted to be world champion. 
being on Broadway was better than that. Mm. Um, and after that, I said to myself, what's next? Because I could keep touring the world the rest of my life, but my body's only going to hold up for so long. Um, so I thought, you know, I'd like to try something back at home. Um, I would, I'd always been in a suitcase on the road since I was 20. So I thought, you know what, let's see what I can get at home. And I contacted Natalie Lowe, one of the dancers from Strictly. Uh, she used to be in Burn the Floor. Um, so we were great friends. And um, she said to me, email this lady. And they, I got on the phone to them and they were the producers of Strictly. And I didn't realize at first. And we had a chat and they said, once you're finished, can you come and see us at the BBC? I said, that'd be great. And they said, we'd, we'd heard about you by, from a few people, actually, because we were looking for somebody British. Um, you don't fit the um, general look of a ballroom dance. You've got a beard, a shaved head, and you're quite built. So you just don't look like that cliched look that everyone has. Um, so I went to see them, had an interview, and they literally gave me their job straight away. Mm. And I had never been so excited in all my life. Um, uh, but they said to me, you can't tell anybody because we haven't told the people that are leaving that they're leaving yet. So this has to stay between us. So you can't tell anybody. I was like, okay. And they said, well, go and celebrate. I'm like, but who with? <laughs> so go and sit in a bar and have a shot of tequila. But me being me, the first thing I did was pick up the phone, go dial it and go, mom, mom, you're never going to guess what. Um, so I told her and uh, that was the start of something completely brand new for me. Um, going on to what one of the biggest television shows in the world can i just ask so and we're gonna we're gonna carry on from this point but i want to ask you a question about when you were younger because you said that you've been ballroom dancing all your life and you were very lucky not to be bullied in school and whatever but you started dancing from an early age which i think is the ultimate gift a parent can give a child i really do i think it's one of life's greatest things to learn who, which parent, what, how did that come about? Because obviously it wasn't a natural thing all those years ago for a boy to do, right? Who encouraged that in you? Well, my mum and dad uh, used to dance uh, at the dance school uh, in Ipswich. Um, so I was always there. Uh, and they caught me wiggling my hips in the mirror one day and was like, would you like a lesson? I mean, I was only three, so I just had to learn very tiny basic steps. But I loved moving to music. There is something that happens to the inside of you when you move to music that nothing else will compare to. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons that I kept dancing so many years and, and it became my life because when you dance, you get taken off to a brand new little world. So even when I was on Burn the Floor or on a, on a competition, um, I'll use Burn the Floor as an example. When that red curtain went up every night, it didn't matter whether I was having a good day, a bad day, a terrible day nothing mattered for that two hours of that show so i would dance as much as possible because it's so good for your mental health and people don't realize until you actually get up and give it a go how good it is for your for your mind your soul your well-being um and you do get taken off to a very very special place which i'm sure you mm. are well aware I think, I think, you know, now that I'm, my wife and I are having um, a baby, well, my, I say my wife and I, she's doing all the hard work. Um, <laughs> I just get to hold it when it comes out um, in August. And we're, we, you know, we know we're having a girl, which is no secret anymore. And, you know, it's got me thinking about, she's obviously a musical theatre world. Um, I used to dance and we're going to encourage our child, no matter whether they're really good at it or not, to learn to sing, to learn to dance, to learn to um, be creative, because 
it's the ultimate confidence builder, I think, when you're a child, um, you know, and that we can talk about this a bit further into the podcast, but I think there's this stereotype of, you know, boys should be kicking a football around and, you know, not cry and learn to be macho and girls should be playing with dolls. And, you know, that couldn't be furthest from how I was as a child. You know, I didn't really have that in me. I didn't want to be a very girly girl. Um, you know, and you grew up dancing. So it's interesting that you and I are talking to each other, actually coming from a very similar place. Talk to me about your one shot of tequila by yourself um, and, you know, calling your mum, whatever. What, obviously now, in hindsight, we know what a massive show Strictly was. Take me back to once you started working on the show and before it was aired and, you know, talk to me about what that was like. Well, I mean, it was the most exciting thing ever. I was going to be on television and it was like, oh, but then I don't think I'd ever been as scared at the same time. But those two emotions coming together. And I remember the, the first episode that we did, they, it's, a, it's the launch show where you get paired up with your partner. So they introduced the three new boys that were there that year. Um, and I had never been so scared in all my life. And you know what? It wasn't necessarily about the 10 million people watching, because you look at the camera, that little red light, there's 10 million people down there. Um, all the judges, I think it was my mum. I wanted mm. to make sure that I was doing this as good as I possibly could for my mum, because she'd done so much for me. Um, she worked in a petrol station and she gave me half of her salary nearly every week so that she could pay for my lessons. So um, I owe her everything. Um, and they got, we got paired up with our partners I had never really worked with celebrities. Uh, we were lucky on Broadway that um, Matt Damon came to watch us and meet us with J-Lo and Meatloaf and Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which I was, I was so excited about. That's the best one. That's yeah. the best one. <laughs> um, so we met celebrities just to say hi and things like that, but never really worked with people. And so I got Patsy Kensett for my first, uh, first year. And for me, she was probably one of the biggest names on the show that year. Um, and for the first week in training, all I was thinking was, oh my God, I'm dancing with Patsy Kensett. Oh my God, I'm dancing with Patsy Kensett. And then as it goes on, you just sort of like start to realise they're just normal people. They have a job that they have to do. Um, and then you have little surreal moments where just her phone would ring and she'd pass it to me and she's like, it's for you. I'm like, who's that? She went, Liam. I'm like, Liam? It was Liam Gallagher. And he was like, um, I just, good luck. He just wanted to wish me good luck. He said, I was married to her. I just want to wish you good luck. Bless him. <laughs> Tongue in cheek, but uh, yeah, uh, lovely guy. Um, and it's things like that. And you're just like, oh my gosh, this is a very weird place I'm heading to. But it was fantastic. And I was getting to do something I loved. Much better pay for it than I was used to. Uh, getting to do it and show the whole country what I was made of. And I was absolutely loving it. And me and Patsy went to week nine, which was great for my first year. Um, back to the second year. Uh, of course, you don't get a contract that runs year after year. They, you don't get told that you feel back until just before. So we have to wait for a period of time. You're thinking, oh my gosh, please be back. Um, so I was back and I got Anita Dobson from EastEnders, uh, who was the dream of all dreams the loveliest most caring sweet person that I, i've ever met and um, i'm a huge queen fan so obviously her husband is brian may um so i was just like this is just unbelievable and i was a big fan of eastenders as well um 
and Anita was brilliant. And halfway through the series, Brian came to me and he said, Robin, I, I love you, right? He said, but I have a little bit of a problem. He said, you make my wife feel something that I can't. And I find that really difficult. He said, I've never seen her so happy. And I, I said, well, learn to dance then. <laughs> I don't know if he did or not, but that was <laughs> what I said to him. And I was really touched that he'd come to me to say, to say that. Um, uh, that year, I went to week eight. Anita went to week nine. Um, I got cellulitis in my foot at Wembley, uh, the Wembley week, and was uh, went into hospital. Uh, they gave me some tablets, which I had a huge allergic reaction to, and I was rushed into hospital. Um, and he got a voted off the competition, so I still haven't forgiven him for that. Um, but it was very strange because my first year on Strictly, I'd go out in public, and people would look at me and point and go, oh, well, that's that guy, Artem, which was oh, really crazy. Uh, because uh, for those of you that don't know, Artem Chigvintsev uh, was the other boy that joined that year, my best friend. Um, we looked quite similar. And he was with Cara Toynton doing very, very well. So um, I got called Artem a lot. Uh, then when I danced with Anita, I was just, oh, it's that guy off Strictly. And I was like, okay, I'll take that. And then came along my third year on Strictly. And I got paired with Lisa Riley from Emmerdale. Uh, size 30 at the time. We all expected her to be the joke of the series based purely based on her size. Um, and everybody, even she said that, she said herself, everyone's gonna think that I'm gonna be the joke this year. But she obviously came out and proved everybody wrong. Um, she could dance and she was light on her feet and she was great. And me and Lisa had this connection that. I'd never, I've never seen with a partnership on Strictly before. We were just so full of life and enthusiasm. Um, obviously, because of her size, everyone was making jokes that um, I, I wasn't going to be able to pick her up. So I thought we'd do tongue-in-cheek week one, and I thought, right, you're going to be the first ever female celebrity to pick up the mail. So I jumped up into her arms to finish that cha-cha-cha uh, uh, that we did week one, and we were on the front page of every newspaper, magazine, everything, and then that just carried on all the way through the series and out in the street. Finally, oh my God, that's Robin Windsor. So Dancing with Lisa really made my, shot my profile to the highest it could ever have been. Um, I remember us getting to Wembley, six and a half thousand people there after she finished the routine and jumped into the splits. Uh, Bruce Forsyth could not calm the audience down. And to be stood there, with those people screaming and you could not stop. I felt like Beyonce. Mm. It was this euphoria that was going through my body, um, but I don't think anything could ever replicate that feeling. It was, oh, it was euphoric, that's all I can say. But anyway, Lisa went to the semi-final. Um, for me, she was my winner. Um, and I think a lot of people saw her as being the winner and we all learned to never judge a book by its cover. And uh, me, and, me and Lisa remained the best of friends. And uh, uh, for all the things that Strictly gave me, Lisa's friendship is far mm. superior to anything else. Then my last year on Strictly, uh, this is where things started to go downhill for me. Not with, not with my partner, but for me on a personal level. Um, I just got engaged uh, to a wonderful man named Davide uh, in, a, in a helicopter above the Statue of Liberty. Um, 
and it was being reported in the newspaper the next day and I hadn't actually told my mother I was gay. So I had to make the phone call at the moment that I'd proposed and uh, just to tell her like I got engaged and she's like, oh, that's wonderful. And she went, but who to? Because <laughs> she hadn't met anybody. So I said, you know, the friend of mine that came to see you with Hayley, my sister, a couple of weeks ago, him. And she went, oh. And what felt like about an hour, about 20 seconds, she went, that's amazing. Tell me all about it. Aww. And I wish I'd done that years ago because I felt like I had two separate lives from my mum and what I did in my private life. Um, but anyway, I got partnered with Deborah Meaden that year from Dragon's Den. We got, she is no dragon. She's a pussycat. She's an absolute superstar. And I love her to death. She's very funny. Um, but during that time, I started to get some twinges in my lower back. I also got uh, uh, a bill from the HMRC for £110,000. What? Uh, I transferred from being self, uh, sole trader to being a limited company. And they went back through, or they did a audit basically of my stuff and they realised there were these huge discrepancies that I didn't know were there. But I only had two years worth of books so they had to go back to five so they said we can only assume this was happening the whole time so uh it was the most heartbreaking thing to ever see that um i was very fortunate that i had the money but it was everything i'd ever had owned saved whatever probably had one hundred and fifteen thousand saved um, and that's purely based on a couple of tours and being on strictly um, because just before that year, Burn the Floor had asked me to go back to headline the West End. So I got to headline the West End, which I'll come back to. Um, so that happened. My engagement ended and uh, my back was getting worse. Deborah got voted off week five. Uh, my back was getting worse and I was having injections and uh, I didn't know how I was going to cope. And as you can imagine, uh, feeling that you might going to lose your job, you've got no money left, your relationship has ended. My dark, we all have bad days, but my bad days turned into dark days, which turned into dark weeks, which just turned black. And I wasn't getting out of bed um, unless it was absolute necessity to work or something like that. But because I was voted off to competition, I just didn't need to be there. So I was just in bed all day and I didn't really know why. Um, now I look back, I know why, it's clearly obvious, but I just, I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror because I couldn't go to the gym anymore because my back was hurting. And what had happened was I'd had a bit of an accident and uh, I'd uh, got a prolapsed disc and it took a nerve with it. So I was getting the pain down the leg, all the sciatic, it was keeping me up all night and I couldn't work out. And working out for me is, the way to get my endorphins going, to keep me going through the day, it helps. So I just felt like I was a, a shadow of the person that I was before. Um, and then um, I met my next partner, which is uh, Marcus Collins, who was the, uh, on the X Factor. He came second to Little Mix way back in 2011. And um, that was amazing to start with, but then Two high-profile people, one from the X Factor, one from Strictly, one black, one white, were a gay couple. That was all still a big thing then. 
um, and press were following us that we didn't realize and trying to make stories up on us. And um, it was a horrible time and it sort of put a dent in our relationship. Um, but we ended up uh, breaking up, but that's how things happened. It wasn't a very nice breakup. Um, as we're moving on, my injections were wearing off on my back and I collapsed and hit the floor. I couldn't move. So I was rushed into surgery. Uh, this was a week before Strictly was about to start. So Trent Whidden from Australia came in to replace me uh, and he got to dance with Pixie Lot that, that year. Um, but Pixie would have been too tall for me. So if I had have been there, everyone would have got different partners and it might've been a different result, but they still never know. Um, and that was one of the hardest things for me to swallow, to see the job that I loved more than anything in the world just get taken away from me like that. Uh, but I went in for surgery and I spent a lot of time working on myself uh, to get better. And 10 weeks later, I was back on Strictly doing a group number. Everybody was going crazy, but the doctor said it was fine. Um, and then uh, I carried on dancing for a while. And the following year, the go to invite everybody back for Strictly, I didn't get invited to do the show again, which I have to admit, I was devastated because I'd gone through so much that previous year that I thought, you know what, that's the one thing I've got going that I can keep hold of. And once that was taken away from me, I felt like I'd lost everything. And I went into the biggest hole in the world. Uh, again, just wasn't getting up, wouldn't speak to people. When I did speak to people, I was having the biggest smile on my face because as you'll come to realize, a lot of people who are suffering have the biggest smile to cover things up. And I got a job in a sh on a show and I was touring around the UK um, and things were getting so bad uh, that in the middle of that I was back in London and I hate this part, but I checked into a hotel and I wrote letters to my friends and families and I purchased enough stuff to put out a herd of elephants. I just couldn't, I just couldn't live anymore. I didn't really know what to do. And my problem was I hadn't told anyone. People knew that I was sad or people knew that I wasn't my normal self, but nobody really knew what was going on with me. And uh, I think it's a, a masculinity thing. You do not want to see yourself as vulnerable to people. And, um, I wanted everybody, it's like social media. We use that as a way to, we show everyone how wonderful life is when it's not really like that. Um, and literally as the moment came, my phone was on silent and it lit up and I hated him at the time. And it was Marcus. And I saw that and I broke down, I saw his name there and I stopped what I was doing. And I was like, well, you, you cried for hours. It was like, you stupid idiot. And I owe that boy then everything for that moment there, because if he hadn't have rung at that time, I wouldn't be able to have this conversation with you now. Um, and we get on great now. He's, he's great. But at that time, it wasn't so great. Why do you think Marcus texted you then? Why do you think, you know, why do you think that came up on your phone then? Um, what did he want? I know that sounds like a silly thing to ask, but... I don't know and I'll never know. Like here, wow. we, would, we would occasionally message or speak every so often, but I hadn't heard from him in a while. Um, and I never told him what's happened. I told him what happened uh, about six months ago. He never, really, he never knew what actually happened. Um, wow. 
so yeah his that moment from him was a a, a massive thing for me um what a gift i, I thank him for that although he never knew what he did <laughs> at the time <coughs> that's when i then had to go and tell friends what had happened um and they got me help they were like you need to speak to somebody you've got to get this all over out you're gonna you're gonna need some help to get through this and i was very lucky to have such a great group of friends that were there to support me and i was hard work for them i know i was hard work um during that period and they're the ones that are still there i know that they're my true friends because a lot of them dropped off the radar there are people who I would have considered to be fantastic friends of mine that just, as soon as they see that there was trouble, disappeared. Mm -hmm. uh, but the ones that stayed, I, I owe them everything because they got me through. And um, even now, I still have bad days. It's never, it's never going to go away. I, I understand that. Uh, but I just keep plodding along. And uh, I retired from dancing uh, a year and a half ago. I did a farewell tour around the country. And I decided that I was going to tell my story on stage every night, which I didn't want to do. Uh, but I worked closely with a charity called Sane. And uh, they were like, do you know what? If you do this, you'll not only help yourself, but you'll help other people. So I stood on stage every night, sobbed most nights because it was still, it was a release for me to be able to tell my story. But what mattered to me the most was going to stage door afterwards and having groups of people there saying, thank you, thank you so much. They're having trouble, their son, their daughter, their brother, somebody, they'd lost someone to suicide, uh, some of this, all, all sorts of things. And everybody had a different story. So to listen to them every single night was absolutely amazing. And it made me feel better. And since then, the more I talk about things that went on with me, easier it is to deal with so apart from you talking about it what do you think your recipe is for bad days like if you were to write a like a cookery recipe but um it's hard i i find and i'll use isolation now as the issue for how i deal with the issue is a get up first thing i do is exercise even if it's just a few push-ups or something just to get the blood pumping in your body and then I schedule things to do during the day at 11, 12, 1. It might just be the hoovering at 12, or it might just be clean the bathroom or a small job you've got. But I did that so that I'm always active and I keep busy. I might get into bed for a half an hour if I finish that job, but I will get out again. Force yourself to get out and do things. And if you schedule it, yeah. um, you find that a little easier. Routine is so important, isn't it? I think we're all discovering that in lockdown, really, because all of a sudden, you know, especially, I mean, I don't work in the city, but I know for a lot of people who get up at 5.30, commute to the city, do a full day, commute home, you know, their whole day is pretty much the same every day. They must feel this loss of routine must be so unsettling. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, for, for me and anybody that's in my industry, we don't have routine. We're in a different place to work all the time, teaching somebody different or doing a show or a TV thing or this. Yep. Very rarely do you have the same day twice. So it, I think this might have been what freaked me out a little bit coming to isolation because all of a sudden every day is the same. Weird, huh? So, the way the opposite. Around, yeah. I'm trying to make my days as different as possible as much as I can because it's not very easy when you're stuck in a small two-bedroom apartment <laughs> in Kennington. <laughs> Um, 
A couple of points so I wanted to say, because I, I hate interviewing people and interrupting them. So I, I make notes as we go along. I just want to ask you a couple of things. Um, Lisa Riley. Yes. I mean, I, I don't watch soaps, so I didn't actually know who she was before she went on Strictly. But the moment I remember her, the moment she opened her mouth on day one, I loved her. <laughs> because, you know, my wife is tall and curvy and a big girl. Okay, so I, I, I'm not, but I get that immediately, like you said, don't ju judge a book by its cover. I mean, my wife can dance and I mean, really dance. She is so fast on her feet. Yet, I imagine if she said to a lot of people, you know, who didn't know she was in the industry, I'm a dancer, they'd be like, what? Yeah. Lisa Riley, the moment she opened her mouth, and I hate this word authenticity because it's become really wanky, but I felt she was so authentic. To see her transform from someone who understandably had concerns, right? I mean, fuck. She was <laughs> breathtaking. The grace with which she moved, the finish that she put on, every extension she had, it was like she'd done it all her life. Yeah, I mean, she was a, a complete natural. And I mean, I went in there on day one and I gave her almost Anne Widdicombe style routine because I thought that's all she was going to be able to do. And I had to sort of say, look, do you know what? We need to continue this tomorrow. And she's like, why? Have something wrong? I'm like, look, I made a terrible mistake. And I was honest and I like, I didn't think you were going to be any good because I tried to say, and I'm like, oh, you can do that. Oh, oh, and you can do that. So then I went away, came back with the cha-cha that you all saw. Um, which was stunning. Which was amazing. And um, it's one of those dancers that will live forever in Strictly History books because everybody will always remember that routine. Um, and I mean, Lisa's had a tough time on the show as well. Her mother had just passed away, who was her best friend in the whole world. Um, and Strictly was almost like her saviour. Um, it kept her happy. Um, but of course, when we were voted off, it hit her that she then had to deal with the death of her mother, which was very sad. So she kept dancing and she went on tour and she did some other bits and everything to help her get through that. But yeah. she is absolutely fantastic. And she was losing this weight. They have a... They'd never had anybody uh, Lisa size before on the show. So wardrobe weren't really sure what to do. Um, how to give her the right costumes and things. So they gave her a, a what, like a, a swimsuit that was underneath all of her dresses that clipped onto this swimsuit. They were taking an inch out off of that every single week. Um, you don't realise dancing not only is good for your mind, but it's good for your uh, anybody wanting to weight loss, things like that. Um, I mean, yes, they're doing it 10 to 12 hours a day, but... Um, the change in, change in her body shape was incredible. And she was like, oh my gosh, I've got muscles, calf muscles, mm -hmm. they're coming through. And her dress has got a little bit shorter and it was really exciting for her. So um, it also inspired a lot of people who were uh, uh, slightly larger to be able to get up and go to dance, dance classes um, because Lisa was there inspiring people to show, do you know what? Two fingers up to the rest of society who think that we can't dance. Dancing is for everybody, no matter size, anything, anything at all. Deborah Meaden, um, yeah. I knew who she was before she came on the show because I've actually followed quite a lot of the stuff she's written. I, I, I really, really admire her as a businesswoman. I think she's a phenomenal businesswoman. 
but again judging a book yes you know she's obviously got a very sort of soft sweet side but why do people hate strong successful women so much she's very confident she's very outspoken um and quite right too she knows what she's fucking talking about i i don't get this you know i mean we'll we'll chat about social media shortly but I don't get this trolling and this slamming of people, especially women, who are prepared to speak their mind, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, I think what people need to remember with Deborah as well is she wasn't just given this money. She was, she was a bingo caller. Yep. Uh, her, her parents had a holiday park that was failing and she was a bingo caller. Um, she put together, she bought it off of them. Uh, I'm not quite sure of the story. And she turned that business around and made it a success. And every penny that Deborah has got, she has earned. Um, and people seem to forget that. Oh, she's got all this money. Oh. But she's, she's hard, the hard work that she's put herself through. And also, I mean, she's, she's only what, five foot two, five foot three, something like that. To be a woman that's quite short in a very heavy dominant men's world, she's had to stand her ground mm. and be able to fight for, to get herself heard over the years. And I absolutely admire everything that she does. Yeah. She will stand up for what she believes in. Um, I agree with the majority of it, which is <laughs> quite handy. Um, <clears throat> but she also does have this wonderful soft side. I mean, we all see her on Dragon's Den. It's being a bit harsh, like with her fingernail, <laughs> fingernail together. Um, but away from business, She's just a wonderful, wonderful, yeah. lovely, caring, giving person. And people don't see that side. They just assume that she's a bit of a bitch because that's what they believe her to be. Just yeah. because she's successful and can stand up for herself, um, everybody's got their soft side. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, one more point before we move on. I like what you said about vulnerability and that um, – whether you're famous, whether you're male, whether you're um, someone in prominent position, I, I happen to find vulnerability quite sexy in someone. I, I think it shows um, it shows an ability to let someone see you, which I think is actually very attractive and something we we don't often see, right? I mean, I sit with people because I coach them and I'm not saying people come to me and I find them sexy, but you know, I have enormous respect for people when they're vulnerable because I think, you know, I think it's attractive to be able to show vulnerability. Why do you think it's still so hard for men? It's still, it's still a thing. It's still a thing that society expects us to be a certain way, even now. Um, we're supposed to be the masculine dominant, as, as far as society is concerned, uh, the dominant one that's there and fighting. But times have changed. And I mean, it's taken a long time for me to be able to even talk about it. And uh, suicide rates are, are on the increase with men. Um, I'm not sure of the exact percentage, but it's, I think it's like 70 something percent are men. Um, and it's terrible that these guys don't have the courage to be able to talk they don't want to see themselves as being weak as far as they're concerned being a man is being strong and being able to hold your own and um if you can't do that you're a failure uh, I, that's what i think other men are thinking i thought the same thing can't tell people how bad it's got they're just going to judge but as i found people are there to listen and there are kind people out there there are, as much as there was a lot of awfulness going on, 
there are a lot more kind people out there than we realize. So talk. Because the first time I opened my mouth, I felt like someone had chopped off my head, uh, chopped off the top of my head and steam just raised out. And I felt such a huge relief. I'll put some links into the show notes um, about some of the stuff you were talking to uh, talking about and also links for anyone who wants to get help. Um, because, you know, you never know people listening to this podcast right now, Robin, and you know, you're a prominent person in the public eye. Um, and, I, and I think that's why it's important for people in the public eye to talk about it because it sets an example that says, you know, we all go through shit. Just because I'm famous, just because I was on Strictly, just because of X, Y, Z, doesn't mean I don't struggle. I mean, um, everybody assumes that because I was on television that I'm filthy rich, but yeah. people never knew that story that I'd lost everything. Um, so I, I'm that what goes on behind the scenes, they see the tits and teeth and the sequins and everything on Strictly. Oh my God, biggest television show in the world. It must be brilliant but you take away all of that and strip the fake tan off underneath is somebody there that's going through an awful lot of trouble. And it's very easy just to judge somebody. Um, like anybody you pass, everyone's got their own problems. Some might be seem huge, some might mean small, everybody's story is different, but our own troubles are the biggest in the world and everybody's are different. Um, so for me, it's just about being treat others as if you as if you want to be how you want to be treated yeah um i i couldn't agree more talk to me about so we've had this suicide bid let's call it that because you know luckily marcus was there at the right time and the huge financial loss. i mean i can't i can't imagine i've lost chunks of money in my life but i can't imagine losing everything all in one go how do you get through something like that, Robin? At first, I didn't know how I was going to. I didn't have the heart to tell anybody. Um, I'd, I'd just done a couple of really good jobs. Um, so the, the money was there. Yep. That was the deposit for my house that I've been saving all my life for. Yep. Um, I remember having to hand the money. Well, I didn't hand the money over. It was transferred uh, online. But in, thankfully, you couldn't do it all in one go. It had to be done in small chunks, which I think eased it a little bit because if I'd have had to hit send on all of that in one go, I probably would have just had a breakdown right there and then. Um, but I said to myself, Robin, it's only money. You can earn this back. You can earn it back. You will deal with it. It will be fine. Although it wasn't fine. <laughs> but uh, I, had to, I had to keep telling myself it was only money and money doesn't make you happy. It can contribute to it, but it's not really going to make you happy. You see all these mega wealthy people in the world, some of them are the unhappiest out of everybody. And I see people who have hardly anything and they are so happy. So for me, money doesn't really buy you happiness. I agree. Um, I, think it's, I think it's really important to be able to cover, uh, I've been doing a lot of research at the moment into um, privilege and uh, my friend Ban Hass, who I suggest everyone goes and follows on Instagram, is very brutally honest about privilege. Um, you know, I think the fact that we are in lockdown, not having to stress too much about money is a privilege. I think the fact that I've got a spin bike in my, in my dining room is a privilege. Um, the fact that uh, I have access to food, again, is a privilege. Um, 
And I agree with you that some of the wealthiest people I know actually aren't very happy. A lot of them are trying desperately to cling on to the status that they have. Um, their 10 million pound house, their sports cars. And I'm not saying if that's what people want, perfect. You know, yeah, cool. by all means. the stress of having to, for some of them, for having to cling on to that and the new status that they have, they have gained because of it is enormously stressful. Um, and like you said, people with very, very little who can be very happy. And I think one thing this whole crisis is going to teach us actually is how we can get by with very little and still be happy. Yes. And I always look at it that there is always somebody worse off than I am. Yep. And I, that whenever I'm having tough, I mean, it's tough for me. I've had to go online to do a lots of bits and pieces. I can't teach. I lost all my work throughout the year. Um, I don't qualify for the government grant because I've got uh, what's classed as my own business. I don't, I don't get anything at all, yet I'm struggling. And I'll turn around and go, do you know what? I can still put food on the table. I can still pay to get through. Uh, people can't. People having to go to food banks. There, there are always, so they're always, no matter how bad you're feeling things are, somebody's in a worse off position somewhere. And that's what sort of gives me that sense of, you know what? It's not that bad. Yeah. Um, we're going to move on to the sort of last chapter of Robin's life. Um, and then I've got loads more questions for you. So you're going to have to hold tight, Robin, because everyone is fascinated <laughs> by you. Um, I, I heard something really wonderful the other day and I made a note of, I was actually out walking my dogs and I made a note of it on my phone because I wanted to ask you this. I asked myself this question and I've asked a few friends this question and I think it's wonderful. And it is to define yourself by who you are right now. So right now, not past you, not future you think about who you are right now and i think it's a really interesting question for someone who's been in the public eye and kind of continues to be because you are but people put labels on people like you right robin the strictly guy let's say or robin the burn the floor guy who's robin right now robin i'm just i i feel like it's a weird one like I was very, very happy before I joined Strictly as a person. I loved my life that I had. I didn't have much, but I had enough. And I was out and I had a great time. and My social life was great. It was just what I had. loved it. After being on Strictly, my life got scrutinized. Everybody expects you to be a certain way all the time. I'd go out to places and people are whispering and pointing, not saying anything bad. Well, maybe they were, but generally it's just like, oh, look at that. That's that guy from Strictly. And you start to feel uncomfortable. And I wasn't in as much as everyone thinks, what a wonderful life, wasn't having as wonderful life as people think, plus with everything else that went on. Um, so since I left Strictly and I've gotten through a, this dark period, um, I am just, I feel like I'm the guy that I was before I joined Strictly. Just wow. a happy-go-lucky, enjoying life kind of guy. Um, that's just just wants to be happy and it doesn't i don't need i've also and what i've learned because i can't put it into one word i've learned that i don't need a huge amount of success or fame or money to really create my happiness interesting so that leads me very nicely on because <laughs> i think a lot of people so i know some famous people as as you do too and 
every one of them would say the same thing to me, which is they thought they'd really enjoy being famous until they were famous. Yes. But they had to get to that point to understand that. Yeah. And I think I see so many young people in this quest to be social media famous, right? Or a successful YouTuber or Instagram or whatever it is. And they need to get to that point to understand actually that that's not what they want. Um, I, it's, it's actually given me goosebumps that you said you now feel like back to Robin before all this happened. Because hearing you talk, you're so, you're so warm, you're so open, you're so honest. Um, I love your Instagram feed because you make me, you're just sequins and sparkle and yeah. just makes me uh, smile so much. Um, the fact that you are, you haven't gone full circle because you're still very much in the public eye, just on a different platform now. Um, and I'm, I'm always going to be, no matter how much I try to yeah. not be, I'm always going to be that guy from Strictly, Robin from Strictly, sure. whatever happens. That's part of my life now and always will be. Unless you married Elton John or, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you'd be Elton John's husband. <laughs> um, talk to me. Let's talk a little bit about relationships now. Um, in, our last, <laughs> in, our, in our last phone call, you said, you told me about this guy that you were in a long distance relationship with. Don't think that's happening anymore. So who would Robin's ideal partner be? If I, if you could, Bridget's going to wave a magic wand, right? We're going to create our list and it doesn't have to be a big list, but we're going to create a list of attributes you think are important in a partner. What would they be? Oh, um, so I've, I've had this conversation recently about if you go to the library, and you want to pick out a book, which is say, for example, a book, and there's a few copies of it up there. You're going to pick out the book with the best cover on it, the one that's yep. still tidy and clean. And you open that book, you start reading the story, but you want to keep reading that book. If I want to, if that story gets better and better and better, I will keep reading. Um, and no matter how many that, that book will get put back on that shelf so many times, it will end up getting tatty and not quite looking the same. But this book, the, open the book and it's still as beautiful inside. That's what I want a, a, a guy to be like. Oh, it's giving me goosebumps. Again, you've given me goosebumps. How, um, what a beautiful way of putting it. Uh, because we, we aren't going to stay looking the way that we look. We're, uh, fact of life, we're all going to get older. Everything's going to head south. Um, but ultimately, I need a partner that I'm going to laugh with, joke with, have great stories and finish off that book together. Wonderful. So for all of you listening, if you've got any suggestions, just send them over to Robin on Instagram. Only joking. Robin, <laughs> you're going to get bombarded. Um, I love that. I love what an, an amazing analogy for a relationship because it is a story. And it is, yeah, sure, you know, we're all, it's human nature to be attracted by, by some beautiful shiny thing that we walk past in the streets. It's, you know, that's human nature. So many of my friends say to me, Bridget, my husband, you know, we're driving along the road and he literally cranes his neck to, to look at a woman. I, I just chill out, love. That's what men do. You know, yeah. it doesn't mean he thinks any, any less of you. That's what men do. But, you know, he's with you because in the words of Robin, you're creating a beautiful story together. Well, the last few weeks, 
um, I went out, I've been going out on cycle rides, cycle date rides with the same, with the same person all the time, just uh, keeping distance, but traveling together. And that's the sort of person that I've been looking for because obviously everything's had to go ridiculously traditional. Yep. Um, we haven't been it's like you're to courting or anything like that. Uh, which is, uh, uh, as we've discussed, it's not everything again because eventually that also dies down as well. So you still need that person that you can laugh and joke and have fun with, and that just basically makes you smile. Um, yeah. We all we all want to love and we all want to be loved, yes. and if we can find somebody on that same page and that same wavelength then um, I think we'll all be good. But relationships are never supposed to be easy. They're, if they were, it would be boring. So it needs a little up and down. I love that you're going on cycle dates. That's yeah, so it's, fun. It's been absolutely beautiful. And it's quite nice. And I've experienced parts of London that I've never normally seen, like some of the parks, just cycling around parks and um, everything where we can know that it's safe to do so. Um, and I feel much safer on a bike than I do walking around the park because I can on, on the roads, you're not near people and things like that, which I don't like, but it's the way. Yeah. That a question on that, because this was one of the things that came through on my Instagram. I, I asked on Instagram what people would like to ask Robin. And actually someone sent me a freaking essay, um, <laughs> lovely essay, but it was really long. So it didn't fit into one thing, but it's actually quite an interesting question because I think there's, so everyone has these pressures, right? Um, heterosexual women have pressure to grow old gracefully and to, you know, have all this work done and stay thin and, but not too thin and do this. And, you know, I'm 45, Robin, I'm menopausal, I've got chin hair. Um, but I think, you know, that whole pressure thing, one of the things someone sent me a, a question on was the gay scene and actually because we in the gay world male and female i mean from a female perspective you tend to have tend to have uh women who one looks a bit sort of like a guy and is bigger and has got loads of tattoos and wears a suit and the other one's sort of a bit more feminine my wife and i are not we don't fit into any stereotypes <laughs> um but i notice there's more pressure on men in the gay scene to fit into a certain gay box for those people that so there's going to be loads of wonderful straight people listening could you talk to me about pigeonholing in the gay scene in soho well i'll put it down to my experience i was a very very skinny skinny ultra pale boy when there was no fake tan on um and i went to um i've been i've been going to a few bars where what you just call Twinkie bars, which is sort of like young, skinny sort of guys. Um, and then I got taken to Fabric, a uh, nightclub in London, to a club called DTPM, to a club night called DTPM. And I walked in there, I mean, first of all, it felt huge. But on that dance floor, there were just shirtless men everywhere with beautiful bodies that wouldn't even glance sideways at me. Um, I left that place feeling the worst I'd ever felt because just felt like I felt ugly and skinny and horrid because it was a sea of muscle. So um, I sort of felt like, okay, so if I'm going to be gay and I want to be part of London and the gay scene, then um, I have to look like that. So I started to work out and go to the gym like and push myself 
ridiculously. It would have been nearly a year later that I went there again to the same club, same people there looking, oh, hi, how are you? I'm like, fickle. Wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> even look sideways at me when I was skinny, but once I'd started to work out and take more care of myself all over me. And I think that's, that's, that's one of the big things that can mess with people and body dysmorphia is a massive thing within the gay community uh, to look a particular way. Then also for me to be on television and to be on stage, also having to look a particular way. Um, and you realize after time, like I've now got like love handles and a little bit of a belly and stuff. We're calling them Corona carbs, but um, they don't bother me now. I'm just like, so what? I, I am who I am. Um, yeah, I'm 40 years old now and things start to wobble in places that they didn't before. Um, and I'm very much more comfortable within my own skin. But people really are made to feel that they are supposed to look a particular way and fit that stereotypical. Um, and you've got these different groups of that's gay guys, you've got bears and muscle guys and uh, the twinks and things like that. Um, but there shouldn't be a category because there's so much internalized homophobia. We've been fighting for so many years to get the right rights the, the same rights as everybody else, yet we're still fighting and uh, all the homophobia that goes on within our community. Yep. Um, and I blame a lot of that as well as on social media is, is such a, a, a big part of that. Talk to me about social media, because do you think there is a, a mental health connection with social media? Or do you think the actual main, mainstream media is blaming social media for mental health. How do you see it with your own mental health, Robin? I use social media for business. I put some, occasionally chuck some stuff up there. Uh, if I didn't need it for work and promotional stuff, I probably wouldn't use it half as much. Um, and anything I post on there, I've started to use to help others at the moment. Like uh, things that I'm doing on Facebook on a Friday night and start to talk but i think people especially from celebrities and people who are doing well or things like that they post pictures of their which is quite there's nothing wrong with that because we all do it post pictures of their lovely house with their new clothes and the things and people that can't afford that or are nowhere like that they look at that and feel bad because they can't they haven't got that and you've also got these people who are fitness people but well, not necessarily aren't because if you see them in real life they are not as fit as they come across on uh instagram everything is photoshopped to make them look like they've got the most perfect body and even people who are going to the gym and working out you can aspire to that but you're never ever going to make it look as good as that because it's not real and that can start to play with people's mental health a lot because you're you're fighting a fight that you'll never win because every, you can't beat Photoshop unless you start painting your own body. There is no way that you're going to look and get the body that you aspire to have uh, by seeing it on social media. Everybody should be doing it for themselves and to get as good as they can good can get and not to compare themselves to others. I I i completely agree with you i was actually thinking of coming off instagram completely um i use it for my work too um i probably won't be posting images of our child when our child comes into the world i think when the child is old enough to make their own decision 
then great. Um, she can go on. Um, I'm actually thinking though, a better public service for me would be to be much more warts and all on my Instagram. So that is my new challenge, Robin. I'm actually going to be brutally honest. Maybe not Katie Hopkins brutal. Um, <laughs> although I have to say whether, you know, love her or hate her. One thing I do admire about her is her, her ability to say what she truly thinks no, no matter, matter what the con yeah no matter how bad shit that is coming out of her mouth that's brave i mean yeah. i i i won't go that brutal but i'm thinking of being very very transparent and honest on my instagram because i think i have a duty in a way at 45 female i'm a lesbian um i have my own business to show people that actually this is the reality you know and some days it's really great some days i can look in the mirror with the sun shining on the mirror and i see not just one patch of cellulite robin i see my whole body sort of <laughs> you know and actually to take a photo of that and to share it i mean it scares me in one way but in another way i think the more people that do that the better because that's realness that's real realness um I mean, I, I also use Instagram. If I'm having a bit of a rough day, I will put a shirtless picture of myself up on Instagram because I know it's, people are going to comment at it and it will make me feel better. Yeah. <laughs> so I use it or, or I use it as a tool to help me as well. When I put like some kind of thirst trap on there, it actually, the responses just make you feel good for a minute. They don't solve all the problems, but that's like a quick fix. Um, but I think it's more than that with you, not you. I mean, I think it's more than that with dancers and singers and actors. I think it's bigger than that. And I think it's because you're so used to going out there and showing the world what you do and what you are, that actually, if you don't continue doing that, it feels like something's missing in your life. Yeah. And I don't think it's narcissistic. <laughs> but I don't even think it's narcissistic. I think it's conditioning. I think it's what you're used to. If you've danced from a young age and you've been competing from a young age, you're used to finishing something and getting a round of applause. Yes. That's how it is. Yeah. My wife is missing her job in the theatre so desperately because, well, one, connection with all the cast, but they went from one day being on stage and the next day the whole of the West End is closed. Yes. She's missing the applause. She's missing the validation and the, you know, someone is paying you to go and produce something and as a thank you because they can't actually say thank you because it would be rude to shout out clap. yeah you know and i think that's what social media does for everyone it, it validates something in us and i think creatives even more so yeah I, de I definitely use it for my own benefit sometimes but um as i was saying before i do use it for the good Talk to me about Friday night in in Robin. Um, Friday night out out because we can't have that for quite a while. <laughs> so we've got Friday night in in with me, Robin Wins on a Friday night on fa my Facebook Live, um, and I set that up originally um, just not just for but for people who were on their own in isolation, struggling, anything like that. They could come on and we could have a bit of a chat and uh, they'd learn a few dances and I'll tell them all to bring a drink and have a bit of a laugh and just to chill out for a couple of hours. Don't take anything too seriously. Um, I wish I was able to interact more. Um, however, the response that I've had from it, like the messages that I'm getting up, 
I, I make me feel incredible uh, for, for doing what I did. It's such a great read, just that, that people saying, thank you for doing this, it helps us. And then I've set a little, there's a little forum <coughs> that I set up the other day. Um, and it was just a post about to put the color heart of how you're feeling and that each color had a little thing next to it. So on, in the comments, you put the color of how you're feeling with the heart. And I'd asked people just to flick through it to have a look to see how everyone's doing. And anyone that had their heart that was broken or the purple heart, I, I messaged everybody back from the effort uh, four, five, five, six hundred maybe. Uh, then everybody else came on, went down my page, and anyone that was struggling, please inbox me. Let's have a chat. I'm going through this. So it's connected a whole group of people together. And I could have saved a life more than more than one, perhaps. But if I can know that I've saved somebody from doing something stupid to, uh, that, they, that they will regret, um, then that's my job done. We were talking before we started recording in our chat about the, the beauty of lockdown and all these online classes is that people come and take a class or come and dance with you or take a fitness workout, whatever it is they're braver about it because they don't have to be face to face with a group of people or in a room. You know, the thought for a lot of people of going to pineapple and taking class, even a beginner's class, scares the living daylights out of it. You know, you and I would love it. We'd be like, yeah, count me in. <laughs> but, you know, if, if, if you weren't from that, to go and do that would be horrific. And yet they can do that now we're in lockdown because of all these online classes. I think that, what people like you are doing, especially with these lives and these group things, is showing people that actually it's not about being a professional dancer. It's about maybe even turning your video off and just watching you, trying to follow along as best you can and just having a good time. Talk me through that. So on your Facebook, your Friday night in, in how does it work? So I know you sort of have a little drink and a chat, but... Um, I get them all up. <clears throat> and I get people and I get people to send their videos to me afterwards because I, I like to see how everyone was doing. <coughs> Excuse me. And everyone's doing it in different places. Some in the kitchen, some in the bedroom. Some just got their phone up, hanging up, and they're all trying to copy. Um, and I just start off slowly as if they're looking in the mirror and they just copy what I, I make it very simple, something that everybody can do at home. And I've given prizes away. Um, I've given a dance lesson away to people and somebody who puts the right answer to a question up um, a little thing so I just like to get everybody involved doing stuff and then I got last week I got you post post a picture of yourself if you work for a key if you're a key worker post a picture of yourself at work on my page and the first one that I see got a big box of bath salts and stuff so oh, I love that um, just little things and it's good for me I enjoy it and for people that are on their own, they feel like they've got some kind of social thing to do on a Friday night and it, it's bringing people together. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And um, I have fun. My flatmate gets involved. He was dancing last week. Everybody loved that. Um, and then I've had uh, my ex, who's the one I was engaged to. It's my best friend that lives up the road. He's got me dog. So he brought me dog on and things like that. Mm, so cute. Have, I, we just have fun. And, in this sort of time that we're at, people just want to have a bit of fun. And actually how, I know you're not monetizing that particular aspect of it, but how, how real that is. I mean, you're, you're essentially selling real Robin because it's not, it's not all perfect, right? We're not in a studio. It's not with a flash camera. It's, 
it's you. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I'm a little half cut as well by the end of it. And so people just see me as me. I'm not trying to be this tits and teeth like, okay, everybody, we must do this. Blah, blah, blah. I'm just, I'm as I would be at home on a Friday night doing stuff. Um, I, and I appreciate that. I happen to stumble upon Neil Jones's inviting dancers on, or inviting people to dance on his Instagram. Have you seen this? No, no, no. It's hilarious. So he, he does these lives or these, yeah, Instagram lives, I think it is. And then he'll just invite people to just come and dance. And some of them might be other Strictly people, but then some of them are just complete randomness <laughs> <laughs> that he's asked on. And I actually, I'm sure his audience actually prefer that. You know, they prefer the sort of Joe Blogs to come on and have a little go at something. And some of them are really good um, because it's real. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be everyone, you know, like you said, tits and teeth and perfect and yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 and that shows that we're just all real people. When again, like back to that, when I first about Strictly, I was like, oh my gosh, it's Jason Donovan, that's the girl from Destiny's Child. Um, you realise that they're all just normal, normal people at the end of the day, just like us, uh, welcoming people sort of like into our homes for the, for the Friday night, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it is. Um, right, I am going to ask you some more questions now because I'm aware that we've been waffling for a long time. Not waffling, but... Um, I could actually talk to you for hours. Not sure a four-hour podcast would work, but we can try it another time. Um, so I want to start with something, again, something that I stumbled upon, because um, I want to ask you the question. We've kind of touched on it, but... And I cannot remember where I heard this. It must have been... I listened to a lot of podcasts. It was probably some very successful entrepreneur that said it, uh, anyone listening, please tell me who said it, because I actually remember the exact words they said. And it was, escape competition through authenticity. When you are competing with people, it's because you are copying them. It's because you are trying to do the same thing. Don't imitate anyone else. Don't copy anyone else. Just do your own thing. No one can compete with you on being you. The more authentic you are, the less competition you will actually have. And the reason I thought about it is because I think in your world, and to a certain extent in my world, in my wife's world, it's very, very easy to fall into the trap of looking at someone else successful in your industry and trying to copy what they do because, you know, you perceive that they are really successful at what they do. One thing I'll say about you and your success and your continued success is what I, really, what I really see about you is you don't try and copy anyone else. You're very, very authentically <laughs> Robin. Um, but I thought it was a really, really beautifully worded way of saying that people really should take the pressure off trying to be someone else. Um, you know, we joke about you and Artem, right? Um, but, you know, you could go into something like Strictly and see, I don't know, someone who's been there the longest and go, oh shit, right, I need to behave like they do because they've been in this since day one. Um, I need to be them. No, what you really need to do is show up as you. Yeah. And you really do show up as you. 
and I've said before, I, this word authentic just makes me feel a little bit vomit, vomity. Um, uh, every, every single person is unique. We are all unique in our own way. We all have something different and something fabulous to bring to the table. Some of us might not know what that is that we bring to the table yet, but don't try to formulate the same thing that somebody else has done um, just because it's been done and you won't get so far. You really want, um, the, the, I think the thing of success is, is be who you are. Don't try, don't try to be that somebody else because what they've done has been done. And people are always looking for something new, different and exciting. So always be yourself. Yeah. Well, you encapsulate that, Robin. You're, you, you've nailed that. Um, right. So I'm onto some questions or some comments that people had for you to elaborate on. Some of them okay. are going to take you by surprise. Here we go. Is it me or did anyone else used to play, especially before social media, spot who's the gay dancer and Strictly and who's the straight one? So, <laughs> and I get what they mean by this. So before social media happened, we'd have no way. I mean, not that it should fucking matter, but anyway, we had no way on, on determining someone's sexuality, correct? Unless yeah. the newspapers spoke about people or whatever. So one thing people used to do is guess who was gay and who was straight on Strictly. Yes, because oh, you, you look at ballroom dancing, it's not the most masculine thing in the world. No. Um, and then you've got some um, lycra on with some sequins and some fake tan and your hair all slicked. Um, it, it can hit that kind of cliche look again. The reason I'm, I'm mentioning it, I mean, someone messaged that to me. The reason I'm mentioning it is because a lot of people messaged me saying they wouldn't mind you keeping their bed warm in the evening uh, and they're actually female. Yeah, do you know, so many people still, still somehow um, didn't realise that I was gay, especially the first, the, the first year that I was on the show. Um, I didn't do anything to hide the fact. I was, again, I was just being me. I didn't have to feel like I had to force it down anybody's throat, but I didn't feel like that I had to speak about it either. So I yeah. just, it's just being me. Uh, it wasn't really until, um, you can probably see it up on my wall, up the top there. My first, I did a Gay Times cover. I can see it. Uh, I mean, my, our, our listeners can't see it, but you're looking <laughs> pretty fine, Robin. Um, and that sort of, I got a lot of messages. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I didn't know, I didn't know. Like, how did you not know? Um, <laughs> But I hadn't really publicised it that much because back then it was still a bit strange. People didn't really talk about it on television that much. Um, so I didn't really feel the need to have to say and anything. And I was It shouldn't only matter, right? It shouldn't matter. And yet it still does. Yes. And, you know, you only have to look at football. And, and it has been talked about in the media a lot recently about footballers who, are, who feel like they can't come out. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's tough, and it's still in that, that very macho world. Um, we only have to look back at uh, Justin Fashnu, um, and since what happened to him, people are never going to come out, and I, it's going to take years and years. Um, I didn't feel it was such a bit of a problem. I just didn't feel didn't really wasn't anyone's business really. Yeah. This was just being me, uh, and then I was the only gay dancer on the show for that entire time that I was on there. And, uh, and I guess not that it matters at all. Uh, I think there's only one, was one, Johannes, 
who's there now, who we all absolutely adore. Love um, and I, I, there's a lot of talk about same-sex dancing this year. Um, I'd like it personally to be two ladies um, because there have been all-girl competitions for years and uh, ladies have danced together for a, such a long time, from the wartime when there was no men around. The women used to dance with each other. And there's a lot of all-girl competitions with fantastic couples across the country. And I think whenever you say same-sex couple, everyone always seems to think about two men. And they've done that on Dancing on Ice. And I think it was great. Uh, I think that now with Strictly, if they're going to do that, uh, I think it would be really lovely to see two women dancing together. Yeah, I agree with you. And it, it's not even a gay thing, really, in no. a way, is it? Uh, one of my, we'll give a shout out to Sophia Little, because I know she'll be listening. She recently got married to Dan, and she is a, a same-sex partnership, a female partnership forum, and they're winning all over the place. Um, really, really fantastic dancing from the two of them. Um, it's really important. It's important we show children, too, that that could be a thing. Um, yeah. Well, if, I mean, if you look at the rounds of the world, especially in the world of ballroom dancing, there are so many more girls than boys. So they have an awful lot of girl, all girl competitions. Being gay doesn't come into it at all. A majority, in fact, probably 90% of the all girl couples, they are all straight. Um, yep. And I think that's a great thing to show people that you don't have to be gay to dance with somebody else of the same sex. You can't, it, 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 Dancing is for everybody and anybody, no matter how you want to put them together. Yep. And Lisa Riley, as we said before, is the classic example of that. Yes. She, she was, yeah, we're going to mention her again. Lisa, you were just stunning. Um, right. Some more questions from your fans. If you could dance with anyone, who would it be? <laughs> You're only allowed one, Robin. <laughs> I'm... I'd love to sit up just because I love her. I'd love to dance with Beyonce. If I had to pick just one person that I could oh, yeah. I'd love to see how she could move in a foxtrot. I think it would be great. Don't you think she would be such a phenomenal ballroom Latin dancer? Oh, I think oh. she'd kill the Latin. I mean, if I was going to Latin, I'd take Jennifer Lopez yes. because I know that she would nail it. <laughs> After that Super Bowl, I think I almost was like, oh, well, maybe I'm not gay anymore. Uh, she was uh, absolutely amazing. Yeah, flawless. Okay, that's good. I like that answer. Um, oh, lovely Ben. Ben, you will be listening to my podcast. So I, I think actually you and Ben sh at some point should do an Instagram live together. Um, ben used to work for The Body Coach. He is a, an exceptional personal trainer. He's the lead trainer at a fitness company I go to. Um, big following for different reasons than you. I think the two of you would be hilarious together on Instagram. He asked me, could you teach anyone to dance? Now, he did follow it up with, like Michael Flatley. Um, <laughs> we'll um, ignore the Michael Flatley bit, but do you think you could teach anyone to dance? Yes. Uh, with, with boring dancing... It's actually just walking. It's left, right, left. If you can put one foot in front of the other and okay, some people have no rhythm. Rhythm is very difficult to teach to somebody, but if you can learn the steps, anybody can learn to dance. Um, even at just some very basic level. Um, I mean, even uh, take the joke in the side away from Anne Widdicombe, 
when she actually did a couple of steps, she did a couple of steps. There is nobody on this planet for me that's unteachable. So Ben, you're listening. We might have a go at that at some point. <laughs> yeah. He's also beautiful, so it wouldn't be a hardship. Just gonna <laughs> leave that there. Um, another uh, question, uh, you'll know who this is from. Please tell me the Artem wardrobe secret. I kill me. I can't. You can. <laughs> you said I could ask you anything. That's Dr. Sarah Thomas, isn't it? Um, so uh, about, oh, in 2010, me and Artem were walking up Old Compton Street and we was, well, I think it might have been Clone Zone that were sort of underwear-y sort of yep. shop. Um, we saw that they had padded underwear at the back. So like both me and Artem had a really flat bum. And we we're just like, shall we get some for a laugh? So we did, and we wore them all the time on Strictly, and everyone was always going, oh my God, your ass looks amazing. And I obviously didn't tell anybody. Um, and uh, we've both done all the hard work now, so we don't need to wear them anymore. But that was yes. Love it. I think that's so, what she was referencing anyway. <laughs> we can put the link to those pants on my podcast episode, should anyone want to pair. <laughs> um, what is your best Strictly moment? <laughs> oh gosh um probably my first dance with lisa the reaction to that was incredible uh then when she jumped into the splits at wembley that was incredible the response to that um but i've got to say being paired with each of my partners chris uh, uh dancing with christina uh having to performing to neil diamonds Catherine jenkins alice cooper uh rod stewart like uh, uh, there are uh, it, the list is endless, really. I mean, I, I'm very, very thankful to have had all of those incredible opportunities. Um, but I think every moment that you're on Strictly is the best moment. Love that. Um, if you could only listen to one song for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh gosh, just one for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> on the spot, on the spot. Do you know what? Uh, do you remember when Scott and Charlene got married in Neighbours? Yes! Suddenly by Angry Anderson. I can't uh, even uh, listen to the opening bar without crying. I know. Da -da 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 -da. Every time gets me every time. That's my song for life. That is the perfect answer. I love that. Um, what is your... So you and your, your lovely guy, your, let's call him Cycling Buddy for now. You get together after lockdown and you have date night and you get to choose, you get to watch each other's favourite movie. What would yours be? What would you play him? Oh, Dirty Dancing. I'd still, well, I think always, yeah. That and Pretty Woman. Growing up, I must have watched Pretty Woman about a hundred times. <laughs> Weirdly enough, I wanted to be Julia Roberts, but I didn't want to be a hookup. <laughs> Well, maybe I did. Um, Have you I watched was... it recently? Yes, yeah, not long ago. Don't you think it's weird watching it now, knowing everything that we know about equal opportunities, about feminism, <laughs> yeah. about... You watch it and you go, oh, this is a bit awkward. Yeah, um, when uh, it's like because they, they... I feel sorry for them as well. Pretty Woman the Musical just opened yep. on West End. And a couple of the reviews had said that it feels 
wrong to be watching this now because of all of the things that have changed over the years. Yeah. But they had to keep the story the same. We can't change it to fit in with society now. It was a movie from the 80s. That has to stay. All yep. the references have to stay. But, yeah. Have you watched the film Bombshell? No. Watch it. So everyone listening, watch it. Kiara and I watched it last night. It's just come out for um, general release on iTunes. Fascinating. It's a true story of, well, it's based on the true story of before the whole um, sex scandals stuff came out with oh, Harvey Weinstein. Yes. It's about um, a famous person in Fox News. He basically ran Fox News in America. And it's the story about how predatory he was and how he asked women to do stuff to him and for him. I don't need to go into too many details to get ahead. And it stars Nicole Kidman, uh, Charlize Theron. It is superb bombshell. That's my recommendation. I'm writing that down as well. <laughs> I've got a head like a sieve. Um, Okay, another question. What is your most embarrassing moment while dancing? Um, so I'm going to go back to Lisa Riley here. Um, and we did a salsa in the semi-final. And you know that step where they sort of, one of the girl drops down and they spin her on the floor yep. and she gets up? Well, um, I spun Lisa and she didn't get up. And um, <laughs> she was laying, she was facing the wrong way. But because she was slightly bigger, it was hard for her to roll back over onto the right side. She was, she called it, and, she, and these are her words, so I can say this. She called it the fat splat. And um, if you go on YouTube and watch uh, Lisa Riley's salsa, you will see it. And I still watch that and crease laughing every time. It was horrific at the time. Um, but you know what? She got up and carried on. That was the main thing. If ever you fall down, just get up and just shaking oh my god in were you sweating robin i mean the thought of that just makes me feel anxious at the time I were you like shit what am i gonna do oh it's, my balls sucked straight right <laughs> up to my throat it was the worst moment ever because <laughs> you're live in front of everyone and it's the semi-final of strictly and you really want that final space and anything that goes wrong could jeopardize that it didn't i mean we didn't make the final but um you just wanted it to be perfect and there's so much adrenaline already at that point um, yeah, so I, we look back at it now and absolutely laugh hysterically, but at the time it wasn't so funny. I love that. Um, now, this is quite similar to a question we've had before, and you're not allowed to say the same two people now. Favourite celebrity crush and why? Oh, favourite celebrity crush. Ali Ash on Strictly. Interesting. Not Ali Ash. I mean, he's beautiful. He's, he's, and he's a, a lovely guy. A lovely guy. And I think Jeanette is probably one of the luckiest girls in the world because he is a brilliant catch. But she is too. Yes, yes, yes. She's... Uh, they make, she's they make such a wonderful couple. They're like a little bundle of energy between the two of them. Um, but I worked with Ali Ash and Jeanette were both on Burn the Floor while I was on there as well. So I'd, I'd known them for previously and I loved them both dearly. Um, and uh, yeah, I, there's something about Aliash. But she's safe. safe. <laughs> I think he appeals to everyone. Yeah, because he's a little bit sort of like silly with his cuteness, and but he's also a brilliant dancer. And for me, uh, someone with talent, 
I, I, I'm far more attracted to talent necessarily oh. than the, how they look. And he's a talented boy as well. Yeah. I think Ed Sheeran, I mean, obviously Ed Sheeran's never going to listen to this podcast. Never say never, Bridget, but it's highly unlikely. But Ed Sheeran is proof of, now, I'm sure some people find him physically attractive. I, personally, I don't see it. His talent is so attractive. It is on another level. Yeah, I, I agree. There's, there's a lot of people who, um, I guess I have a specific type of man that I like. Um, and there are a lot of people that don't fit that sort of uh, look for me mm. that I will listen to or watch them dance or anything. And I could fall in love with them on stage at that particular moment. Yeah, I agree. Talent is very, very sexy. Um, right, where are we at? Um, oh, my dogs are barking in the background. That's always good, isn't it? Um, okay, believe it or not, we are almost down to the last question that I'm going to ask you. So before we do that, is there anything you'd like to add that we haven't discussed? Oh, do you know what? Just, if, if anybody out there is struggling or finding life difficult at the moment, which I presume is quite a lot of people because uh, a lot more than normal. I mean, for those people who suffer with uh, depression and anxiety anyway, in this situation, it's been increased tenfold. And then people have slipped into a bad place by being in this situation. And all I could just urge people just to tell someone, family, friend, relative, um, pick up a phone and call any of the hotline numbers that Bridget will put up with this. Uh, and don't be afraid to talk because like as BT say, it's good to talk and they are spot on. Love that. Now, this last thing, you might actually say something really, really similar, but it's actually going to be my new way that I end my podcast because it's such a profound thing the government did. So when we first went into lockdown, do you remember we all got a text on our phones from oh, the yes. government? Yes. And I thought, God, it actually, I actually found it really moving because I thought, shit, the whole of this country is watching, is as receiving exactly the same message at the same time. And it's, it got me thinking that if you could do the same, Robin, if you could send out a text to everyone in this country and it had to be the same message, something that, and it might be along the mental health lines, but something you would like to say to the entire country in one text, what would you say? Make someone you don't know smile today. Oh, I love that. Someone you don't know. I'm just writing Make them down. smile. Because smiling, smiling and laughter, or laughter, because smiling and laughter is infectious. When you smile, that smile radiates down your body and you'll feel a bit happier. So I'm going to probably, if I can get this thing, I don't, I'm not going to edit this. I'm not going to cut anything out of this podcast episode because that's how I work. Um, yeah. Even when I do one just by myself, I don't edit anything. So I'm going to try and get this out tomorrow, which will be Friday and everyone will still be in a semi-state of lockdown. So that's going to be our challenge to everyone is make someone you don't know smile today or laugh today. Um, and I think that is the most stunning way to end a podcast, Robin, because it says and I'm going to sound really gushy here, but I mean everything I say. It says everything about you, that text. You know, we can, we all have our stories. We all have 
stuff that's happened to us, stuff that's shaped us, um, stuff that has frustrated us, stuff that has floored us, literally. And it's how we choose to respond to that that ultimately shapes who we are. And with all the stuff that you've had happen to you, and I know, you know, we've only just scratched the surface. I, I'm yeah. going to get you back for, <laughs> I'm going to get you back for another episode, if that's all right with you at some point, because I think Absolutely. we've got more to talk about. But with everything that's happened to you, you've chosen to send that message, that government message out to the country, which shows that throughout everything that's gone on for you, you are just there for other people. And actually your mission is through your dancing, through your extraordinary talent, because you are an extraordinary talent, you want to leave people feeling happy. And yeah, that is for me the most wonderful way to end this podcast. So we're going to carry on chatting for a little bit. I'm going to press stop in a minute, but I just want to thank you publicly so that everyone can hear. Um, I invite you all, I'll put stuff in the show notes. I invite you to connect with Robin. I invite you to follow him on Instagram, even if it's just for sequins and sparkles. I suggest you do his Friday night in, in, and also contact him if you want to get involved with his group Zoom classes, his one-to-one -one classes. He is available for one-to-one -one lessons via Zoom. Um, and just connect with him because uh, he's certainly made, you've certainly made me smile today, Robin. And I think people listening to this, they might be out on their daily exercise, their long walk, their, they might be commuting to work and listening to this. Um, and that's our challenge, to leave them with that challenge, make someone smile. So thank you very, very much, Robin. I'm going to press stop if you just want to say a couple of words before I do that. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And uh, remember, you can, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and any information that you want on classes can be at info at officialrobinwindsor.com. Thank Fantastic. you very much. Thank you, Robin.